0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome inside an all-new episode of the Can Audio Podcast. Matt Robinson with you, as always. Uh, and it is just me here today for a, a quick hitter episode of the show. Uh, not going to spend too much time on anything, but just thought we'd get a couple of things out the door, as there's lots in the news today. Um, we'll also let you know that next week, we're excited to, uh, to be able to let you know that both Steve Bunda and Michaela Schreider will be back on the podcast. Uh, Michaela, earlier in the week, she's going to be in Tuesday evening, so you can probably look for that to drop on Wednesday morning. Uh, Bunda will be earlier in the day on Thursday, so we may get that out to you Thursday afternoon, or it could wait until uh, until Friday morning. But either way, we'll, uh, we'll make that a little clearer as it gets closer, but excited to have the two of them back in studio as... As frequent guests, friends of the show, people who enjoy a good craft beer and and some sports talk. So look forward to that next week. Uh, look, there's a few different things we could talk about here today. Uh, the Sens lost on opening night. The Leafs won on opening night. Neither one of them looked particularly impressive in doing so. Um, you know, the, there's people mad at the Texas Rangers for some reason. I do want to get into that in a minute. And uh, I guess we'll start, though, with Mark Shapiro's press conference on Thursday morning where he addressed, uh, and sort of put a final bow on the Toronto Blue Jays season. We heard from, from manager John Schneider right after game two against Minnesota. We heard from, well, some of us did. We heard from Ross Atkins on Saturday during Canadian Thanksgiving, uh, a fairly cowardly place to schedule that press conference on the long weekend. Um, I have a feeling they knew exactly what they were doing. And basically, uh, based on the, uh, the performance that Atkins had during that press conference, I guess I don't blame them for wanting to hide it because that was a bit of a shit show and uh, Shapiro was the final one to speak on uh, on Thursday morning here and if he had just spoken on Saturday instead of Atkins, I think the last week that the Blue Jays have had would have gone a lot smoother. There'd be a lot less people calling for for heads and and wanting people fired and things like that. Atkins has no idea how to speak or just generally appear to be a human being. They kind of send out the Ross bot to, to just say some words, but there's no, there's nothing there that leads you to believe that you're speaking with a human being with emotions and, and an ability to empathize with, with the fan base or, or anything like that. And, and so it wasn't a good performance. And a lot of people thought he threw John Schneider under the bus by saying that the Brios decision was entirely, uh, John Schneider's and maybe it was, But a leader typically is the type of person who stands up and takes far more um, criticism than he actually deserves and accepts far less credit than he probably deserves. And Atkins did the opposite. And I think there was probably something to that where he felt like maybe he was doing John Schneider a a favor, as I got my tongue twisted there just a little bit, uh, in that. There would there'd been all kinds of talk, and I firmly believe this, that these decisions are made as much by the front office and the analytics departments and uh, all sorts of different departments across the organization as they are just by the manager like they would have been 20, 30 years ago. And so perhaps when Ross Atkins comes out on Saturday and says, no, that terrible decision was all John's, he thinks he's giving John the autonomy Right. He, he's giving the public appearance that, no, 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 John Schneider is the man in charge during these games. Um, he has the final say. Well, first of all, I don't believe that to be true. And second of all, that really wasn't the moment for that. You know, it, it appeared Atkins was sort of trying to take any blame off of himself and place it squarely on the manager. And if you're going to do that, that probably should have been followed up by a firing. Now, as you guys know, I never thought John Schneider was going to be fired. I'm not even convinced he deserves to be fired. But if you're going to come out and say that colossal mistake in that huge moment in this deciding game was all John Schneider's. But we think he's doing a great job and we're bringing him back. I don't know that that sits overly well. So this press conference that Adkins had on Saturday has really riled up the fan base, riled up the media. And now it's up to Mark Shapiro to come out on Thursday and try and put out some fires, try and restabilize things, bring back a little confidence in the organization, and just in general, settle this down. And if I'm being honest, he didn't say a whole lot. Mark Shapiro is very good at corporate speak. Right? At that business, you, you, how to how to say things without saying anything, talk for a little while, but not actually give much away. And he's very good at that. Now, he did give us a couple of things on Thursday, but his tone, his mannerisms when he's speaking to you, even when you know you're not getting a whole lot of information, you at least feel like you're speaking to somebody who understands the question you're asking of him. So he starts this press conference on the perfect note, in my mind, before he starts taking any questions. He says, over the last week or so, My thoughts are with our fans and our fans are upset and they have been for most of the year. And I think by acknowledging all of that, you at least validate the opinions of of fans. And it's one thing like there's a lot of fans out there who just get pissed at literally anything you do and are always going to be mad and screaming at you on the Internet. And those people will always be there. But there's another subsection of the fan base who knows what they're watching. They're smart baseball people. They've watched this game for a very long time, and they know when they're being spun bullshit. And so you can't fool those people forever. And so for six months, we all watched this team, and we talked about it probably more like I got comments in our mentions and in our replies about how much time and attention we were spending on how frustrating this team was to watch and, and how, you know, how annoying a lot of their games could be. and stuff. But that's how we felt. And we had different guests on and, and people that you would no doubt and, and rightfully so recognize as better educated on the sport than we are. And they said the same thing, that this has been frustrating. This has been a grind. Things aren't going the way they want to. And yet at the end of the day, you're right there and you're in that playoff race. And so you still you got to keep going. You got to try and finish the job and hope that things are going to turn around. And they just didn't. So Shapiro comes out on Thursday morning and he acknowledges this and he says it himself that he can't remember a season in his 30 plus year career as that was as much of a grind as this one. And that was a good word for it. Because it's one thing when you know your team's going to be terrible and they're getting smashed around in April, and May, and June. And at least you know what you're watching. You're still watching the games because you like baseball and you want to support your team. But you know they're shit. And so you have no expectations. That wasn't this group. There was expectations on this group. They weren't shit. They were getting wins. And yet it just felt every night like this sucks. And there was any number of reasons for it. But it was important for him to acknowledge and validate that that's the way the fan base felt and to say, yeah, that's how I felt too. So that was one, you know, check in his favor in how he got this press conference up and going. He also came out and said, we don't really understand why so many of our guys underperformed our expectations of them on the offensive side. And again, you have to come out and say that. That these aren't bad players. We're not throwing people under the bus. But they didn't give us what we expected. And I'm sure if you're a player, you don't love hearing that. But that's what happened. Vladdy wasn't as good as we expected him to be. Like, what's happened to Alejandro Kirk? He is not as good as he has been in the past. These guys showed flashes of it. And there are other players out there. Matt Chapman. Same thing. Unbelievable hard hit rates, like top five in baseball. When he was making contact, he was crushing it. But it was always just being caught or he was crushing it into the ground or it just wasn't working for him. And so he, he acknowledged, Shapiro did, that there will be a deep dive into the organization this year on why that happened. Were their expectations out of whack? I don't think that's what it was. So why didn't these guys perform? I think it probably wouldn't be unreasonable to take a look at your your hitting coaches. A lot of guys that you have brought in here over the years have actually hit worse after they've gotten here. To me, that would suggest whether it's your hitting strategy, whether it's your hitting coaches, there's something that these guys are being told that is causing them not to perform the way they normally do. And so you need to know why that is. And... I thought it kind of went without saying, but apparently there was a lot of fans who needed it said. And so he said it. We will look into it this offseason. I was interested in one thing um, that he said that was about that game, too, about the Burrios decision. And he said, uh, now first, he kind of, I guess, got tripped up a little bit and crossed his words. He at first said that it was a mistake to do it. Which was interesting because on Saturday, Ross Atkins said it wasn't a mistake. Atkins said, we only gave up two uh, two runs in that game. And so our pitching strategy was successful. Well, I see the logic in that. You should be able to score more than two runs and, and make up for that. I, I understand what he's saying. But that's not what anybody wanted to hear in that moment. And it doesn't explain why you went away from Barrios while he was having probably the performance of his season. Maybe the best performance we've seen him had as a Blue Jay. So uh, Shapiro on Thursday says at first that it was a mistake. Someone asked him later to clarify that. And he comes back and goes, actually, I didn't think it was a mistake. So whether he got tripped up the first time and wanted to clarify or sort of pumped the brakes and went, okay, now I'm throwing people under the bus. I shouldn't go that far is interesting. Um, But I'm not going to hang him out to dry on that because like I said, it's possible that he just misspoke the first time or didn't totally understand which part he was calling a mistake. But was, what was crystal clear was on Saturday, Atkins said that he found out that was going to happen when we did. The Barrios lift, bringing in Kikuchi, hoping that uh, in response Minnesota would take their lefties out, bring in their righties to hit, and then you take Kikuchi out and the rest of your bullpen arms that are all right-handed have a better matchup. Ross Atkins said he found out When we did, he saw Kikuchi warming up like everybody else and went to the move and he said he supported the move. He was fine with the move, but that he had nothing to do with it. He didn't know about it. He found out when all the fans and all the broadcasters did. Shapiro said he knew it was coming. On Thursday during his press conference, Mark Shapiro says, I knew that was going to happen. Um, And like I said, he went back and forth on whether it was a mistake or not, but he said he knew about the strategy and was fine with it. How is it that the general manager who runs the baseball operations is saying he didn't know that was coming and that was entirely John Schneider's decision, but the president who runs the business side of things and oversees the entire operation did know about it? Uh, You can believe who you want on that. I have my theories. I think Atkins absolutely knew this was part of his putting it all back on John Schneider. And so now you've had two different guys hold two different press conferences and give two different versions of how that played out. Now, again, that is not the entire reason the Blue Jays' season was frustrating or came to an early end. But it was a big storyline during the playoffs, and you have multiple accounts now on how that's played out, which is, which is interesting. Let's talk about the Senators for a second. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I did not see... All of the uh, the Sens game. I was watching the Leafs game on Wednesday night. And I wasn't having all that much more fun than, uh, than Sens fans were. But I'd go back. I watched the extended highlights. I've spoken to a couple of people. I've sort of read the articles. And I'm not going to sit here and, and tell you what happened in that game. And where it was lost. Um, as I said, I did I didn't see enough of it to get the full context. But what I can tell you. Is that the Ottawa Senators optimistic as people are about them are not equipped to roll into Carolina on opening night with two rookies in their second and third center slots you're going to get rolled every time not I'm not saying they're going to lose every single game until you get those guys back in your lineup but on opening night when everybody's fired up and everybody's healthy and all these things Carolina was always going to win that game And that's going to be the case when you go up against some of these tougher teams until these guys are back in the lineup. And when you look at Carolina, who, as I said, are a very good team, great defense, Aho is elite, all these things. But this is not a one, two, three center punch in Carolina that is typically regarded as like the strength of their team. It's not a team with stars up and down the middle. You know, Jordan Stahl is fine. Aho is better than fine, but he's not. McDavid, right? He's not Crosby. He's not even, you know, Braden Point, probably. So we haven't seen the elite of the elite number one centers get a chance to chew up what Ottawa's trotting out there right now. And I never thought we would get this far. The Norris thing was alarming at the beginning of camp when they said he's going to skate in a yellow non-contact jersey. It's a couple of days and... If the games were in two or three days, he'd be playing to the point where he is not in the lineup yet. And I certainly never thought we would get to a point where they would go all the way to the point where the regular season has started and you still don't have Shane Pinto signed. I never thought we'd get that far. I don't know if that deal is done yet. I saw reporters falling all over themselves on on Wednesday saying Pinto is in town today, so uh, the deal must be close. I'm told Pinto's been in town since Sunday, and it doesn't mean the deal is close. It means he's trying to be there for his team. The second that this gets done, he wants to be at practice and getting ready to get into the lineup as quick as possible. So as a show of good faith, he is in town. It does not mean that the signing is imminent based on the couple of people I've spoken to. And again, I don't claim to be some sort of insider, but I do have the luxury. I'm I'm lucky enough to be friends with some people who would consider themselves that. And, uh, you know, you talk over a beer or two or or whatever. So the Pinto thing might be imminent, might be done before this is released. But just because he arrived in town and suddenly that was a story on Wednesday, he'd been here since Sunday. It doesn't mean it's done. Doesn't mean the contract's done. Doesn't mean they're just waiting on a trade. It means he's being a good teammate, and he's putting himself in position to leap into action the second that this does get figured out. Uh, One of the main reasons that Pinto is not signed is Tarasenko. You went out in the summer, and you gave Vladimir Tarasenko $5 million. And I didn't hate it on the face of it. We talked about it on the show. He's going to come in motivated, you know, on a one-year deal, Uh, hoping to make better money, get a better contract next summer, whether that's in Ottawa or somewhere else. But he needs to have a big year, and that could contribute for Ottawa. right? That would be huge if he showed up motivated and put up a big year. But that money is part of the money that is blocking Pinto from getting signed. That was a move that Dorian made without foresight, without figuring out how this was all going to fit. And when you get to night one, I look at the, the, the game sheet here, and I see he's only played 13 minutes. Only two guys played less, and those were two fourth liners. So now you have a player that is making $5 million, blocking your 22-year-old third-line center, and is barely playing. It's not a good combination. Ottawa had to play a man short, Four different teams did that on opening night. Edmonton, Vancouver, and I believe LA was the other one. All of them with 17 guys dressed instead of 18. And so the cap management here has been incredibly short-sighted. And maybe it's no more complicated than Pierre Dorian isn't used to being up against the salary cap. He's used to having to dig to the floor. Now he's got some money in his pocket. He's signed some guys. And yeah, you got buyout money on the books you got Tarasenko on the books, you've got Hamannick, you've got McEwen. Uh, just roster mistakes. All making a little bit more than they need to if they need to be there at all. And it's costing you your uh, your third line center and what would be your second line center right now until Josh Norris comes back from being in the lineup. So, not a good start. I think there's every reason to be optimistic still for Sens fans. It's one loss against a very good team, even with a full, healthy lineup. There's a chance Ottawa was going to lose that game anyway. You know, probably a 50-50 chance that most of these games are, right? But they're not doing themselves any favors here at the moment. And Pierre Dorian looks worse and worse every day this goes by. Or that this goes on. So, needs to get that done. Uh, We'll talk about the Leafs here for a minute. I thought their opening night was pretty lackluster. Uh, Started out pretty poorly, got themselves back into it, pissed it away again, only to get themselves back into it and win once more. Uh, A couple performances that stood out, I think Nylander for the most part throughout the game was maybe their best player. Uh, Matthews had certainly the best flashes uh, and he was pretty good all night, obviously. He's got another hat trick, Um, got cleaned out on face-offs in the first period. I don't think he won a single one. Which is unusual for him, especially against a team like Montreal, which is not particularly good on the draw, or at least wasn't last year. I believe they said on the broadcast, Toronto was the fourth best faceoff team uh, in the league last year at like 54% or something, and Montreal was down at 46%. So, that was odd. John Klingberg is going to be a bit of an adventure. A minus two on opening night, despite having uh, two primary assists. And very nice assists. And there was a couple of moments where he was skating the puck out of danger pretty well. Uh, gorgeous pass to Nylander on one goal. Um, looked reasonably comfortable running the number one power play, despite having not been around for a lot of training camp. But I think that's going to be the story of John Klingberg. Is you're going to hold your nose a lot of the time at the way he's getting, excuse me, at the way he's getting his points. I don't know. How much he has left in the tank offensively, you hope a fair bit, right? He's not going to be what he once was in Dallas, but you need him to be better than he was in Anaheim and Minnesota last year, at least offensively. If he can do that, then he's going to be a useful piece. But even then, the defense, oof, it's going to be bad. And and like I I think it was the second goal against where Jake McCabe, his defensive partner, pinches down and gets beat. And now it's just Klingberg back. That can't happen. That's why those two are paired up. Jake McCabe is supposed to be, you know, the babysitter for Klingberg's offensive adventures. So Jake McCabe can't be the one that's getting caught, pinched down too far offensively, and getting beat. He's got to be the back out guy. He's got to be the responsible one. So that was ugly. Um Brody had a terrible night. One turnover where he just Straight up falls, skating the puck in. Another one, that's not really his fault, but it is him that it happens to a shot. I think it was Caulfield uh, hits Brody's stick and then goes up over Samsonov. Um, so bad deflection there. Bad luck as much as anything. But for a guy who was a little bit of a whipping boy coming out of the playoffs last year, you'd like to have seen him get off to a nice start and that didn't happen. And Samsonov, not, uh, not, not good. Like I said, a couple deflections, a couple on on uh, you know unfortunate plays. One off a shin pad, one off Brody's stick. But man, a couple there that are just what are you doing, buddy? But uh, some palsy calls by the Leafs coaching staff. I believe there was 4:45 left, down by two. They pulled the goalie, uh, and it worked. Just as often it doesn't. But uh, Matthews manages to tuck one in, and then they tie it up late, and then uh, win it in the shootout. But that was hardly an inspiring performance from the Toronto Maple Leafs. You take your two points. And uh, barely scraped by the Montreal Canadiens in a shootout um, in the season opener. And, uh, yeah, but I I don't think it answered anybody's questions. One of the things that's going to be a problem here for the Leafs, and maybe as much for the fan base as anybody, I think people got to understand just how much worse the forwards are going to be this year defensively. I have questions about the defense itself, we've talked about that. You know, how can 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 Mark Giordano keep up at 40 years old? What's John Klingberg gonna be? Can Timothy Lilley gonna take another step? There are major questions. But the forwards that have left Ryan O'Reilly, Alex Kerfoot, Noel Achari, like these are guys who contributed defensively, who were part of your penalty kill. You know, you can think what you want about Luke Shen, and he was better than we expected when he was here. That was on that back end. But, like, up front, you lost some pretty responsible defensive pieces and replaced them with the complete opposite. Tyler Bertuzzi and Max Domi are going to be useful players. They're going to put up points for the Leafs. They're bad in their own zone. Fraser Minton, I don't know how long he's going to be here. He looked a little nervous on opening night. Maybe that's to be expected. Maybe he gets it together and, and sticks around. Maybe this is a short-lived experiment. Um, but he's a rookie. He's not going to be as as sound defensively as you want him to be. So these are all pieces that have replaced you know pretty responsible defensive players and aren't going to bring you anywhere close to that level of commitment in their own end. That doesn't mean you can't win. Doesn't mean you can't develop a different system and and try and win games more high scoring. But I think the lack of defensive responsibility, you know, John Tavares isn't getting any better in his own end either as he gets a little older and and slows down a bit. The lack of responsibility in that forward group is going to make the defense look bad more often. And I think, like I said, the defense is already going to have its issues. But if it's now raining shots that never used to get through because the forwards aren't tracking back or aren't getting in the lanes, that's going to make this decor look worse than it is, and that that's a bit of a trickle down effect. Now the defense is getting blamed. Now Samsonov's facing more rubber. Is he up to that? Um, you know, we'll see what he's going to look like. He didn't have a great night one. This is going to be a different looking team than you're used to. Giving up more chances, giving up more goals. And you're just going to have to hope that the extra offense that you've brought in can outscore that a little bit. But buckle up, because the John Klingberg experience that you saw on, uh, on opening night that was sort of, hey, look, that was pretty slick. Oh, shit, look, now it's back in our net. I think that's going to happen sort of team-wide. You're going to put up some more goals than you're used to seeing, but you're going to give up some more as well. The last thing I wanted to touch on. The Texas Rangers advance on, uh, on Wednesday night, move on to the ALCS, and there was some people kind of mad at them about it, and this stems from the party in their clubhouse after they have clinched, and Justin Verlander gives a little speech where he swears quite a bit, and uh, the Fox sports cameras are in there and catch the entire thing live on TV. All right, come on. Please. All right, shit. Uh, boys, this is uh, this is one of those seasons, you know. Nothing went our fucking way early. We battled through injuries. Yeah. Um, we fucking grinded. I wasn't even fucking here. <laughs> I'm happy to be back. The seventh fucking time. Seventh fucking time. All right. Don't look that. Don't take that for granted. On seven, everybody pop these motherfuckers. One, two, three. Oh! And I actually saw, I think just before I started here, Kevin Gosman tweeted that it's stupid that they have to be careful about what they say in their own clubhouse. And that's all he said. Didn't quote the original issue, didn't mention Texas, but he's clearly commenting on this this backlash against the Rangers on uh, on Wednesday night. And so there's people in his replies saying, well, you have a responsibility to the media. And of course, you have to be careful if you're going to let the the media in there. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about day to day when you have to answer questions and be accountable for what's happened in that game and understand that there's going to be people around. He's talking about this party afterwards that belongs to the team. And if you think for even half a second that 26 or 30 guys in that clubhouse after just winning a playoff round and, and firing open the champagne and the beers, are going to be careful and watch their mouth, you're out of your mind. That is just not the atmosphere. So yeah, if you're being interviewed one-on-one on Fox Sports or on Sportsnet or ESPN or whatever broadcast you're watching, of course you're an asshole if you intentionally just go on there and repeatedly swear. You know the environment. You know you're being interviewed. Be a professional and watch your mouth. But when they come into your party, you are, in my opinion, of no obligation whatsoever to care what makes it out onto TV. They don't have to come in. They don't have to broadcast your party live. They're not entitled to that. If the clubhouse welcomes them in and lets them do it, fine. But this is at your own risk. So either don't do it live Maybe you just move to the seven second delay and you can do your best to try and beep out as much as you can. Or you edit it, broadcast it 30 minutes later, or you just don't do it. Maybe we don't need to be in the clubhouse watching these guys party. But to expect them to accommodate a live TV camera during their party to celebrate is stupid. As Kevin Gosman said, it's ridiculous to think that their celebration needs to be toned down in case you're running a live camera in there. That's on you. You're the broadcaster. I'm the partier. I won. I get to celebrate and I get to do it however I want with my teammates in our clubhouse. You're welcome to come in, but we're not changing the party for you. It's just stupid, but there was blowback. Well, they knew there was a camera in there. It's not They should care more about it. Stop it. The camera is there by its own choice, right? The network has decided they're going in. Well, you know what that party is going to look like. You know exactly what's going to happen. So prepare yourself. Either accept that there's going to be cursing going out as these guys party together. Or run the delay and beep it later, as I said just my opinion on that i can't believe the things that we argue about and fight about online these days <laughs> to think that uh oh my god fox sports those poor people they brought their camera in and now those people swearing on their airwaves get lost it was entirely their choice so last thing i think i said the uh the rangers is going to be the last thing just quickly uh gary bettman And his League of Advisors and hockey is for everyone? Fuck off with the pride tape thing. You look like total Stone Age douchebags. I was pumped to see people like Morgan Riley say, yeah, we'll find our own way to support them. I was pumped to see Scott Lawton, former Oshawa general, love you, buddy, stepping up and saying, yeah, I'm probably just going to use it anyway. And if they say something, they'll say something. I put it out on Twitter when the announcement was made half the time when you cross check someone in the face and leave them bloodied and toothless. The next day we see a tweet. We have fined this player $2,500, the maximum allowable under the CBA. These piddly ass fines that do nothing. These players can afford to pay the fine if they want to use the rainbow tape. We talked about this when it became a story last winter. Some of the guys not wanting to wear the pride Jersey. That's where all this started. Some of the guys starting to look bad. Well, if I don't wear it, then I'm going to be, uh, you know, people will judge me. Yeah. Yeah, they will. You are entitled to do what you want to do. You are entitled to your own beliefs and you are entitled to be judged for them. But they didn't like that. And so instead of just undoing the jerseys, which was shit enough, and they undid it all, not just the pride nights, it's military nights, it's heritage nights, it's everything. Nope, can't, can't do it. Instead of just taking that away, let's say I could wrap my head around the idea that, well, it's unfair for the team to say you should wear our pride jersey for 20 minutes during the warm-up. Let's say that's too hard for people. Let's say I can get my head around that. You go all the way the other way and say no one can use the tape during warm-up one night a year. We go from you can't force people to wear the jersey, to you absolutely can force people not to express their beliefs and their support. We can't force people to wear the jersey and we can force people not to use the tape. Fuck you. I had somebody in my replies call that fascism. Somebody wishes to express themselves. The league says, no, you can't express yourself. And the guy wanting to use the tape is the fascist? Get a dictionary, you fucking lunatics. Crack, cracking down on people expressing themselves is like page three of the fascism handbook. Like I said, maybe you can talk me into saying it was unfair to ask everyone to wear the jersey if it was uncomfortable. It is ridiculously unfair to say that no one can put tape on their stick during warm-up, you've gone all the way the other way. And it's for the exact same reason. If on pride night, 16 guys say, I'm using the tape and two don't, they want to protect those two who are now standing out. We don't want them to have to defend their actions or their decisions. 16 guys want to do it. Great. Let them do it. Two don't. Great. Don't. No, no, no. They'll stand out. Everyone will notice. Yes, they will fucking ridiculous I was pumped to see that uh, according to Ian Mendez and his reporting that there are uh, teams and players across the league who have already reached out to the uh, the company that makes Pride tape and and have ordered it whether they're planning something or not or whether they just bought it to support the company we can't say yet but i promise either will be players who use it they'll pay the fine and make the league look like, uh, well, what I say at the beginning? Stone Age douchebags. Fine, don't force everyone to wear the jersey. But don't force those who want to, to not. Just to defend people who don't want to answer for their, themselves and their beliefs. It's cowardice. And maybe the most cowardly part of it right now is we have heard from all sorts of people. We have heard from the league... And the mandate, we've heard from players that were interviewed, we have heard from the PWHLPA, we have not heard from the NHLPA. The Players Association has said nothing. Because as usual, they're going to defend the homophobes and not the people that the homophobes have hurt. So fuck all of this. Pretty stoked to see uh, who uses it anyway. The NHL sucks. Set up a four on here. I think hockey's my favorite sport, but the league that has the best players, it, uh, it's just garbage. Just garbage. That's where we'll wrap this up on that happy note. Don't forget, uh, Friday morning, Ethan Shiner, author of the book, Freedom to Win, is going to be here. That is the story of the uh, the Czech hockey team trying to battle back against the Soviet oppressors. During uh, the 60s and 70s. Great read. It's uh, going to be a great interview with Ethan Shiner as well. So, hope you'll join me for that. Michaela Schreider, Steve Bunda will both be in studio next week. That's going to be a lot of fun as well. And uh, that'll do it for this one. Thank you so much for listening. My name's Matt Robinson. We'll see you next time. That's it. I cannot work under these conditions. If anybody wants me, I'll be downstairs at McDougal's. Huh? Call the weekend guy. I don't care.